Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and joining me today is Dr. Shelley Murphy to discuss her recent research project entitled Hidden in Plain Sight, Researching for the Descendants of the Enslaved Laborers Who Built the University of Virginia. Dr. Shelley Murphy is a genealogist. And she is also a coordinator for the Midwest African American Genealogy Institute. She coordinates two courses, Fundamentals, Methods, and Strategies for Genealogical Research and Slave Era Research. So let me give a warm welcome to Dr. Shelley Murphy to the show. Welcome, Shelley. Hello, Bernice. How are you? Welcome to everyone. Yes, Shelley. Now, Shelley, I am really interested in this project. So why don't you give us an overview of what is, what is this project all about? Well, Bernice, back in 2007, the Board of Visitors uh, put out a statement of an apology for slavery. And there were some students that objected and felt that it wasn't enough. And this is with the University of Virginia. And so there was a student group that formed, and then there was a project that basically was commissioned um, by the president at the time, which was uh, President Teresa Sullivan. And she put together a commission on slavery in the university. And so I attended some community meetings in Charlottesville and, you know, where they were having dialogue and engagements with the community, you know, to raise awareness and, and look at designing a memorial to those enslaved laborers. And then I had retired basically from my full-time job from a nonprofit in December 2018. And then I received a phone call I think it was July 1st in 2019, and basically, what are you doing? Because I knew the person that had called me, which is his name is uh, Dr. Kurt Van Dack. And so basically, they offered me the opportunity to seek out and do genealogical research to find descendants. I was familiar with what the memorial was about, you know, 
saw some of the designs, participated, like I said, in the community meeting. So, you know, but I also knew it was going to be some challenges. But, you know, I was lucky to be where I'm at and have experience with research. And so I said, okay, we can do this. You know, we can do this. And I'm familiar with the communities from my nonprofit work and genealogy groups that I belong to. So that's basically how it started. Okay, so what do you think researchers need to know when they begin to search uh, uh, the slave era? Well, number one, I think they need to understand African-American research, period. they got to understand the system of slavery. It connects to economics. People were property. You know, they were being purchased. They were being sold. And they were also being rented as the enslaved laborers that worked at the university were. They were rented by local um, plantation owners and some that weren't in the local central Virginia area. But also with that system of slavery, there is going to be some of our African ancestors we're not going to find unless there's some other method such as DNA because they get so deep south. So we might not know that trail. Even though we are getting more and more records available that is coming forth now, um, there's still an opportunity that some of our ancestors will not be found. But Bernice, I'm lucky because of where I live and the situation uh, close to not from the university and working in central Virginia. So I feel very lucky because of that. And, and the reasons are uh, the local history here is so deep and so strong. We've got these historical homes, Monticello, Thomas Jefferson, Mount Pelier, you know, James uh, Madison, and then we have Highland um, with James Monroe, besides the other large plantation owners. And I'm not saying all of plantation owners had to be big like Thomas Jefferson, but there is a link in these communities. Charlottesville sits in the middle, and then you have five surrounding counties, and then, of course, more counties. So based on the situation, I figured I had to start right here within the community. I belong to several groups, and the interactions, everybody's working on similar type projects. But the biggest thing is that the community of researchers historians, family historians, and genealogists were working on the communities of the enslaved ancestors or African-Americans that, you know, were in the area. So I had resources to tap into. But, again, being in the location and what I had access to, I think, helps tremendously. Where if I was living in Michigan and doing this project, it wouldn't be the same. You know, I have to, right, I and I know you have always stayed. Yes, you've always uh, focused on going local, and so just by the fact that you were there in the community mm-hmm. certainly was a was a plus for you. But what were some of the challenges? Let's just talk about challenges for a minute. Even though you were there, tell us mm-hmm. about the challenges. I had to prepare myself mentally because we have the standard challenges that we're going to face 
research in African ancestry anyway. There's going to be records that aren't recorded. There's going to be records that are destroyed, you know, and it might tap into some families or uh, community areas that they're not going to share that information of the past. They probably know about it, but they're not going to share it. But my biggest thing was really not focusing on my 21st century thinking and is to go back Mm -hmm. during that time and just accept what I find. Because if I think about what we know now about the past, I think it would have slowed me down a bit, you know. And I think the challenge was once COVID set in to online research, and you know, as a, a teacher here teaching genealogy, like for Maggie and things like that, I tell people, you can't do it all online. Well, the last few months, I can only access and rely on the community that might have tapped into resources to share with me because I can't get to the historical society or the courthouses. So it's really a community that's also helping um, with this because they might have access to records or have records that they previous, you know, had access to to help. Another challenge was oral history. And you know this as well as I, that researching and hearing the stories from some of the families, not all of them are totally accurate, but they are such a huge lead for you to be able to search things, hearing key things when people talk about what the great-grandmother said or their parents said. So, again, not another I worry about is not doing enough analysis to make sure that I've got the right person, you know, and I know that's a standard challenge. And then I had to sit back and think of the emotional aspects of it because I'm not using DNA, you know. Now, if I contact Mm -hmm. somebody and that comes up, that's a whole other conversation. But there's some emotional parts to doing this type of research, and I I don't ignore it. I just let it come, make the cries go on, you know, get back on it, you know. But there's there's interesting things that you see, and this is not an area that I have my own family research. I do in other counties in Virginia, but not where I live. And so it's been very interesting for me to learn all of this. Right. And, and yes, it is emotional when you begin to look at names and realize that they were chattel slaves and that they they had no rights and they were property. Um, So let's talk about the enslaved laborers. What did you know about them? Well, the first thing I would think of is Monticello and um, the work that Cinder Stanton and others have done over the years, and Naya Bates and, and her team carry it forward now, and that's the Getting Word Project. So I knew if this was Thomas Jefferson's university that I had to look there also to find out. I was given a list, and I had slaveholder names, Um, Some of them didn't have slaveholder names. Some of the enslaved laborers, I had names. Some had first and last names. And then there was no no name, first or last. So I concentrated pretty much on where there was names, and I had surnames to begin. 
And so if I had, you know, like a Jim Henderson as the enslaved person, then I started researching for the Henderson family. But I also, on my list that I have, there's no location. So I also had to research, and that takes more time, is research in full counties. Because if I'm talking about 1818, not after the Civil War, I'm talking about 1818, 1820s, 30s, whatever, it's not simple to just jump to the 1870s that I would routinely do if I was looking for my own enslaved ancestors. So I'm looking at different things. You know, it's going to look for land documents. I'm going to look for a state settlement and things like that. There could be bill of sales out there. But not knowing how much and who I could go get. And then I'm researching backwards, I guess is another way of saying it. Because I'm starting with the enslaved laborer's name instead of starting, Mm -hmm. say, like with my great-grandmother or someone's great-grandmother. But then again, I go back and forth. It's almost like a flip-flop type, you know, research because if I could start with the enslaved and I'm trying to work my way back, or if I know the surname is local, start there and try to get and make contact to the enslaved person. I'm researching one right now. I've got three people that have fortune in their certain, you know, in their ancestry lines. And so on my list, I have a Kezia Fortune. In 1830, she was a washerwoman and, of course, rented to the university to do washing. And so I know Fortune is a local name in Albemarle, so I was familiar with that. And I got three different people who I don't know if these three people know each other yet, but uh, we'll find that out. But trying to connect and say, how far did you get back in your line on the fortune line? I've got a name and I got one year. That's it. And then I find Kezia in um, the 1830 census only. So I got a first and a last name and she's free. She's not enslaved. And 1830. So it's just Questioning, you know, as I say all the time, the genealogy research is really the art of asking questions. I got to know, you know, first start off, what do I know? Well, I got her name, you know. I've got to start with, it's writing down on a piece of paper for me is starting off with just simply what do I know and what don't I know? And then what am I missing and need to know in order to keep going? So, and then I try to come up with the plan to say, okay, well, who's going to have this information or what document will share that information? And then I just start going for it and taking my notes. Most of them, I build trees on them. If it, Like I said, if I know that name, you know, that I've come across as long as I've lived here in Central Virginia, then I can make contact with other people you know, things that we're unfamiliar with in the genealogy groups and the projects that they have done over the years and go from that also. But, you know, I have to have a plan. So like I said, I start off with what I know, and then I make my little notes as what do I need to know or what am I missing so I can get to a descendant. And one of the key factors that I thought has worked out well for me is I put up a Facebook page, and I thought, but if nothing else, I know this is going to sound silly, but they will come. 
You know, if I put it out there and asking questions, they're going to come. Maybe somebody's going to see that surname, you know, because of my other connections, say, with Oggs or Maggie or these local genealogy groups and say, wait a minute, I know that. Or, oh, my friend's family, that's their last name. It's been a great resource, and um, I'm doing Zoom meetings with folks now. I have one tomorrow at 7 o'clock, and anybody can come in that thinks they had ancestors you know, in central Virginia, city of Charlottesville and the counties surrounding, Albemarle, Savannah, Louisa, Green, Nelson. Also look at Buckingham County and Orange County, Culpeper and Madison. And reaching out for that far because this is what I have immediate access to before COVID set in. Or I can contact people that I know in those areas and see if we can make some connections. So social media has been a really good, you know, uh, platform for me to jump this off. I needed something, you know, um, and, again, not knowing the virus was going to hit. Well, let me just take you back for a minute because I'm trying. I know how you are with research plans. And so Mm -hmm. if I had to say what did you do, what was step one and step two and step three? Because, first of all, you have to know what you're looking for or who you're looking for to be able to say that you have identified the descendants. So take us back one more time and just kind of reiterate mm-hmm. your the plan. Where did you go, even before you set up your uh, Facebook page? Well, I knew the goal, find descendants, based on that list I had. And the university had uh, has a Facebook, I mean, not a Facebook page, but has a website, and it's, uh, it's called Jewel, and I post it quite often on Facebook. But it is known as Jefferson's, uh, U- Jefferson's University, the Early Life. So it's J-U-E-L, okay. so people could find that. And, and talking with Kurt Van Dock, who is my supervisor, and I also work with Dr. Ashley Schmidt as well, and they just want me to go for it. Your goal is to find as many descendants as you can. So the plan was, number one, was to see what they had on this list. How was it laid out? It's in chronological order, which is my method, you know, me and timeline. And so that was perfect for me. So I knew the time frame I was looking at. I was familiar with some of the laws, you know, during that time from using the resource of the Black Code, uh, you know, for Virginia. So, and I also knew I had to stay local, as we mentioned earlier. But I also had to understand that they were building a university And once it started getting built, that a lot of those professors were connected, and they also had slaves. I knew the record sets that I needed to use to tap into from my, I'm going to say, my regular research. You know, so what what Mm -hmm. do I need prior to, say, the Civil War? You know, I... Right after the Civil War to find out if somebody was free, I knew I was going to tap into the Freedmen Bureau records. And it takes time to go through the Freedmen Bureau records. You can't just sit up there and put a name and think you're going to find them. And, of course, I'd have to use the census 
hopefully that they would be accurate enough that I would have leads and would lead to the right family. So coming back to step one is what do I know? These are the things that I know, or these are the things I know about the family. And I just start making notes, you know, and I'm handwriting them. There's no system, you know, and this is the one time I'm really not building timelines, but I have built trees, which is still going to be a timeline. I was familiar with the community and what was happening in the area during these times. And so, again, what am I missing to get to an ancestor? I know I'm going to have to have birth, death, and will, and and the chance that somebody might have owned some land. So in marriages was another big thing because what I've learned, which has been a shock to me, is that, all of these families pretty much connect. So if I hear the fortune line, I also know that I might connect to the Howard line or to the Bowles line or the Coast, which are big slave owners, but also that the enslaved took some of them, not all of them, but had taken the um, slave owner's surname. So I'm dealing with something that I can put my hands on. And, and, again, I was familiar enough with what research had already been done and to know to tap into those resources. I don't miss typically a presentation. Um, I was meeting people and kind of hanging out at the Jefferson School for African American Heritage uh, Center in downtown Charlottesville. This is where history is at. This is where history is being shared, uh, shared at. you got talks. you got exhibits. So that's a place for me to hang out. I didn't have an office. My office was wherever I put my laptop at or my pad of paper. So my step two, again, is what am I missing? Who am I not in contact with? And that would be people's books, dissertations, theses, things in the library. So whoever, whatever surname I'm doing, my step two would be going after that. You know, because I'm tracking a family from one time period to another. And then I try to set up meetings, find out who knows them. Um, I got genealogy buddies throughout this area. Also, not even in the state, but they have ancestral ties to central Virginia. And uh, just like me and Utah, you got ties to Augusta County. I think there's my ties where we might connect, you know, might be Mm -hmm. in Augusta County which is like 30 minutes from here, you know, basically from Charlottesville, just over the mountain. So, again, I had to find out what information was there. I needed to know what resources were available that I could put my hands on. So I hit the library. Every one of the counties around here has a historical society, you know. So who, whatever surname I'm looking at, because I don't have a location, I'm going to tap into them. I'm going to check the social media. I'm going to go online to Ancestry, Family Search, use all the typical online resources, at least, at least so I could zero in, just like the fortune. I knew that was off of Morrow County because of conversations with other researchers and family members. So I had to start and say, well, how many fortunes that are of color in Albemarle County, and I went for 1871st, and this woman was free, so I started backing up and going 1860, 1850, 
1840, didn't find her, but I found her in 1830, which is also when a transaction happened that she got paid from the university for doing some monstering. So that's not enough. There will be more. And, um, again, I've got the three families to think of, to think of their trees and look at their trees. If not, I'm building their trees if they have not done the research. So that would be another step is to utilize the resources of these databases if people have access to them to build a tree and hope the hints and the leads come. Because I use the hints as leads, but it also Mm -hmm. might connect me for a marriage. And so that would be another step. And then sit back and think, okay, something's not jiving right. You know, how do I resolve these conflicts? I'm still missing information. And, again, very simply, I'm making a list. You know, I'm not a very fancy researcher. I'm very simple, and I stick to the basics because there's no magic when you're doing this type of research. Absolutely none. You have to follow the documents. You've got an exhaustive search. And sometimes you have to redo those searches to make sure you're on the right track. Because I could research a, a surname for three or four days, the same people, and then find out, oh, wait a minute, that's not them. All the dates don't match. Something's all wrong. But I have to resolve that in my mind. Because if I'm going to talk to a, a descendant and say, hey, I think your ancestor is one of the enslaved laborers that helped to build the University of Virginia. I got to sit back and think about what I'm telling. I I can't be telling something that's not true. I got to have something Mm -hmm. to back that up. So I'm collecting and preparing. If nothing else, I build the tree with the resources on it to say, look, dot, 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 here's your ancestor, and here you are. Is this correct? So there's interaction with me and the potential descendants. And again, well, this is so exciting because I want to know first of all, how many descendants were you able to identify, and then give us some, give us an example of some of the reactions of the descendants when you then said to them that they were descendants of uh, laborers that built UVA. Well, one of the other things that I did um, was did a form, you know, like an intake form coming from my nonprofit Mm -hmm. work. Um, I have an intake form. So if you think you have an ancestor that was in this area and say any time between 1817 to 1865, let's see it. Give me your parents' name, give me your grandparents, both sides you know, and up to the Mm -hmm. great-grandparents on both sides, then I'm going to go research it, you know. And, again, the time is spent just discovering, trying to see if I'm finding somebody. So one of them, and I'll use an example, and and he's probably listening listening to the show, is the Maupin family because there was two names. I didn't know about the Maupins, but I knew a friend of mine had a film company because he does documentaries on local history, and it was called Moppin Town. And I found Moppins, two Moppins, on my list. And I thought, okay, wait a minute, Socrates and Addison. One was a chemistry, uh, chemistry professor, 
And um, the other one also was connected with the university. And so I started researching her mind, and then I contacted him. And I didn't know his grandmother was a Moffin. I, you know, I just saw the name Moffin Town, um, you know, about his them. And so I started researching it, and it was interesting because one key strategy you have to remember, if you are doing African ancestry research, you can't do it without knowing the white or the European folks that connect with your African ancestry. You, there's no way to do it alone. You, you have to do both. So I started researching for white moppins and basically went all the way to France with them. I know when they came into Williamsburg and whatever it was, the 16 or 1700s or whatever, and coming in to Albemarle County. And so I researched them enough to say, okay, yes, they were plantation owners because my list had their names on it. So I knew they were slaveholders. Went to the 1850 and 1860 slave schedule census that were taken. There they were. So, okay, looking at, you know, I call them tick marks because there's no there's no name of the enslaved on the slave schedule. You only get the gender and you get their age. So I said, okay, I don't know the age of my person I'm looking for. And so I kept working through that. And I said, okay, they're definitely slaveholders, got the line. And so bingo, after I talked with him, he shared information with me. And I finished the line and I said, here, look at this basically. Is this correct? Because I wanted my work to be validated by, you know, the family. And it was. And I'm actually another one of his lines is almost there that he might have another line connected to the enslaved labor. Um, so, again, another key thing is don't forget to research the white family. We didn't come here with these surnames from Africa. You know, Murphy is definitely not an African name from where my, you know, African ancestry came. So we have to put something, even though we know people had a choice of their surnames after they became free, you know, 1865. And sometimes we'll find that path. I've seen documents also known as so-and-so were an enslaved laborer because they had a choice at that point when they went to that Freedmen Bureau field office when they said, what's your name? They could have changed their name right then and there, or they could have used one of their parents or grandparents, previous slave owners, or what they knew of. doesn't have to be the name of the current slave owner. Some of those records will show that. Some won't. So you have to keep digging. You know, and typically we tell people to get out, step outside that box. No, stay in that box. Because if you don't keep going deeper and deeper and exhausting what you have your hands on, why jump out the box? You're going to miss something. So I focused on doing that. So people are have been surprised. There's some pride showing there. I, I feel the pride we've had this opportunity, you know, or the university has given the opportunity for us to do this and value what was done. People can go on the uh, website and see it or go on Facebook and, and find it, and they can see 
pictures of the memorial. Just recently with the COVID, there was uh, groups of people that were out there kneeling. So it's, it's got up, it can hold up to 4,000 names on these panels, which are about 4,000 pounds each. So there are pictures um, that we have on Facebook also that have shown where there's a descendant and they find their ancestor and they're standing there, you know, showing the name. Uh, Henderson so how many line. how many people so far have you identified? Uh, well, come December, I was dealing with about seventy, so I should be about eighty-five by right now. Uh, people that I'm wow. dealing with that are trying to connect, <laughs> and again, mm-hmm. the key is because of this location. This might not happen somewhere else. You know, because it's so researched in this area, so I don't want to give out false hope that I could make these contacts and things like that. And right now I'm posting that form link for people to fill it out, and I pulled off 10 of them yesterday. So I can sit, sit, uh, you know, sit back for the next few days and start looking up these lines and say, wait a minute, you know, fortune was one because I had a lady that submitted a fortune, and I said, wait a minute, I know two more trees. Because I took a simple old-fashioned address book, not anything online, and I started putting the folks that I'm dealing with. I put their go in alphabetically and put all the surnames because these families are connecting. So I automatically knew when I saw fortune, I knew two more people, and then the new person that just submitted that intake form. And and there's others, you know. Uh, there was another lady that came with Scruggs. I knew Scruggs is out of Louisiana County. I know they connect to Peyton Skipwith, who was at the was an enslaved laborer at the university. And I also know there was a thief, our friend Marty that came to Maggie. I know her folks were slave holders in Louisiana County, and they were in Alphamire. And I'm seeing these in folks' trees. So it's really just following up and making the connections and staying at the community level as much as I can because because of the circumstances right now, I don't have any choice. Otherwise, I'd be in the courthouses hanging out, you know, like I was before, or historical society. So, Shelley, what I is the name of the Facebook page? <laughs> Oh, the Facebook page is Finding Your Enslaved uh, Laborers at UVA. Okay. So individuals, yeah. are you still hoping that individuals will identify, self-identify and, and complete the uh, intake form so that you could examine whether they are descendants or has this project yeah, ended? That's, no, the project has not ended. Um, I'm just going to keep going until they tell me to stop. But, no, the project is still going on, and so I'm continually, you know, hoping for more people to interact with. They can post questions because some of these lines are not connected, but I still have to do some research, you, you know, to find out. Either are they on the list or are they on that, you know, that jewel site that I mentioned. And, you know, I don't know until I do it. I'm familiar with the Monticello families. I'm familiar with the Highlands families. I'm familiar with the folks that were enslaved at 
uh, Mount Pelier. So those names are in my head because I've interacted with different groups, you know, the descendant community groups with them. Well, what happens is you might have one of the people that was enslaved at Monticello that married somebody in um, Charlottesville. So right there I've got a connection. And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. there's been a lot of research already done on that. It's just me having to find and make that connection. But, again, I can't even give you a number. Um, I can't even give you a number to tell you how many don't connect. And because basically I do, you know, say up to four to six hours a day online, and the rest is writing down. But this is the world I live in and what I love to do. Plus the outcome outweighs all the stress or the emotional connection. You know, because if I walked into that that memorial and saw my ancestor's name on there, that becomes sacred ground for me. I know they mm-hmm. labored there. Mm-hmm. They built that university. And the university is still standing with some of those original buildings. And this is across the nation. It's not anything just here. It's just that the university, those students, you know, really kicked this off, and they've done a fabulous job on it. And And I'm proud to be doing the work as well. And one of the things which I I found to be uh very enlightening was to see the PBS uh video of the memorial to oh. the enslaved laborers yeah. and descendants. Yes. And yeah. for those of yeah. you who have not seen this, uh Shelley, I'll I'll post this on Facebook so that people okay. can go and look at the um the video. So at least they can get yeah. an idea of of your journey and the descendants' journey, since you all worked hand in hand to make this project a success. Well, why don't you share with us some final points uh, that perhaps we should keep in mind when anyone gets involved in slave era research? Well, number one, you, you need to have a plan, no matter what. And if you're new to genealogy, start listening and, and to the free webinars, start reading the blogs, attend those institutes out there, you know, go to these, join a group, go to these, you know, functions that happen in your area because they're, even though we can't physically do them now face-to-face, but there is a plethora of information out there and start picking up strategies. And, and one of the things, and I have a rule, and people that know me and at the Institute also know, I say follow the money, the land, the water, the community that you're dealing with, and then the face of the people. You're going to have some success if you follow those type strategies. What was going on in the community where your ancestors are at? doesn't matter if they were enslaved or if they were free. What was going on? You need to understand the area that you're working on, you know. And so another thing is if I'm going to sit out there and say, oh, well, this is a father-son relationship, I sit back and think, okay, well, you need to prove that then, Shelley. What, what do you have that – give me three documents that can back up your theory or what you're saying that here is a father and son. And then I think of the records I need to go find that would show up that could give indication that this is a father and a son connection. 
And again, if we weren't going through COVID, I would say you got to go loco, get off the computer, you know, and get in a car or the train or whatever and, and go find these documents. I believe we have more access now than we've ever had, you know, what we've ever had. You need to have that conversation with the family, gather what they know with what you know and then what records you have and start building that tree based on the information you have. My personal research and how we teach to others, I have people do a timeline. So if I interact with a family that's going to continue doing their research, they would be building a timeline on their ancestry. I'm going to use, you know, the database to build that timeline for me and and, you know, put the documents with it. But you need to have something in chronological order. I have a list with names on it. I don't have locations. And that's why I had to focus so much on the community where I was at to find out how, how all of this was connecting. And another big thing is to understand what records and resources are out there. You know, is there a list of free people? Is there a list of the, you know, enslaved people? And if not, who would have that or where could it be? Enslaved people were property. They're not going to just go be on some fancy list. No, they're going to be with the property, with the animals and equipment and whatever else it is. So don't even go look the other way. You know, you got to find people's wills, you know, families rented their slaves, you know, to do certain things. They they rented them to neighbors, you know, and so you also want to know who's around all of these people. So if I'm looking at the Hendersons, the Moppins, or the Fortunes, or whoever it is, who's their neighbors? Um, so I think those are parting words to make sure you know who your folks could have been associated with or close to. And we use that infamous 1870, which might work in most cases, but I'm also dealing with people from 1818 that might not have made it to 1870. So then my 1870 research or census turns around and it plays a different role. That would connect me more to the descendants, not necessarily always to the enslaved because they might not have made it, you know, that far in that distance. And listen to the, uh, you know, the descendants. They might have some stories to share. There just needs to be a plan. What are you, what are you going to do and what outcome are you doing? And don't plan or your goals to be a question or an answer like, I want to know everything about this family. No, go specifically and make small goals. If I want to find out the enslaved folks, uh, a family on Kezia Fortune, I'm focusing on her and who might be her children or her parents. I can't go any further. I have to have one or the other. And I don't even know if she had any children or if she ever got married. Because right now I just have a name. So I go from there. And I think those are probably pretty much the, you know, besides join a local group, a genealogy group, you know, and um, make sure there's interaction. Share with people what you know and what you don't know and where you're stuck at because you never know where other information is going to come from. And I do a lot of presentations and things like that. Typically, something's going to trigger at one of those, especially if it's in the local area. 
So you want to be involved and let people know what you're working on. Because, again, it might come from, you know, somebody you don't even know, but they heard your talk. You know, so that's as far as the advice I could do. And it just keeps going. It's a circle, and I just keep going, but I keep asking the questions. That's, that's well, I want to thank you so there. much, Dr. Murphy, <laughs> Dr. Shelley Murphy. Yeah. I know you can go on and on, and I think they certainly <laughs> picked the perfect person for this project. With you being local and knowing the resources and knowing some of the names and knowing the laws, they definitely picked the right person to make this project a success. So I want to well, thank I you so that. much. I hope so. <laughs> thank you so much, Dr. Shelley Murphy, for joining me today. And everyone else, I look forward to you joining me next week. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Goodbye, Dr. Shelley Murphy. Bye. Have a thank good you. afternoon, everyone.